0: They discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We thought all. some The dead won't bother me. It's the living you got to worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I am Vicki. I am barely Janelle. <laughs> oh, no. I just want to pray that Janelle is not sound <laughs> on me right now. It's fine. We'll be fine. It's fine. It's all good. I've survived
2: way worse.
1: <laughs> um, if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you got a good show for you as always as i always say that should be one of our catchphrases got a good show for you i got a good show for you yeah. 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 um but first let's head over to the newsroom to to we sit watching our tvs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 oversize and 63 violent crimes
0: as if that's the way it's supposed to be
1: This week, our story takes us to Arkansas, where a man is accused of breaking into his ex-wife's house to steal a Dr. Pepper. Just one? Yeah. <laughs> so officers responded um, for a report of a burglary, and they saw the smashed window, and it was the owner's ex-husband holding a Dr. Pepper he'd taken from the refrigerator.
2: I mean, if you're going to steal, go hard. Just get the His, whole case. Somewhere. Yeah, right. I mean,
1: if it's in the fridge, at least it's like, just like, single. I would assume it's not like the plastic yeah. can things, but who knows? Denisho Goodwin, 37, was the man who broke into the house. Mm-hmm. Officers confronted him. He became angry and aggressive and then started to curse at the officers. And then he threatened to kill the police officers when they tried to handcuff him. And of course, at this point, he actually has a no-contact order with his ex-wife. I was going to say with the Pepsi.
2: With, with <laughs> I the mean Dr. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> no contact a, with Dr. Pepper. Uh, uh, is it a Pepsi? The doctor no. has filed a no-contact <laughs> order. Please do not contact him. It's so um, much better if you took the wife out of it just said Dr. <laughs> the doc
1: the good doctor mm-hmm. uh, so Goodwin was arrested he was charged with six misdemeanors and two felonies including threatening, burglary and theft of property <laughs>
2: That's
1: one. how do you return it? it's in his stomach
2: but also like it's under a certain amount like dude <laughs> I don't know you charge someone for a dollar can of soda I, I don't know <laughs>
1: Apparently, you get burglary for for that. God.
2: In Arkansas, anyway. <laughs> All right. That's soda Pop
1: country. <laughs> it's the soda tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to move on to Netflix and Kill. This week, we are talking about a documentary called Who Killed Little Gregory? I have seen that. You have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it is first of all it takes place in france um and i so say it's that hard yeah <laughs> i say that because it's in french but it's subbed on mm-hmm. the or not sub well part subtitles part dubbed over mm-hmm. in english which, which i hate dub overs i hate dub overs so you know. but at the same mm-hmm. time it's like i can watch this right before i go to bed and mm-hmm. not have to like
2: and then your brain will translate it for you now <laughs> yeah right it's like i can speak french now um yeah. that's how it works you sleep on the french book <laughs>
1: Yeah, it just absorbs. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is the story of Gregory Villemay, who was like three, no, four. Mm -hmm. He's four years old, boy, just a little boy. Um, He disappeared from his home and was found in the Valone River near Dussel. It is like this little village area. In France, and of course his parents, Jean-Marie and Christine uh, Villemay, they were completely distraught by this. Now, big time spoiler alerts, if you have not watched this or don't know about the case. Turn it off if you have not seen this yes. or heard this. So the whole premise, at least of the first part, is they're talking about a man that they, or a person that they have started referring to as uh, the crow? No, mm-hmm. the raven?
2: There the crow. Right. Craven. Roe craven. The craven. What we'll the, call it the craven. The craven. <laughs>
1: um and this was a person who for months and months and months beforehand was sending them these really mysterious and threatening letters and like the phone launcher. calls. <laughs> yeah. They were getting phone calls from this person that were threats and it seemed that this person had a lot of knowledge about the family and some of the inner workings and things. And so they initially well, and I think still assume that the person who was the crow was also the person who murdered Gregory mm-hmm. and this is all of course in the initial investigation which very quickly afterwards goes completely off the rails bananas it mm-hmm. is, the case itself is extremely interesting there were a lot of people accused a lot of people arrested almost all of them within the family Mm -hmm. Um, the initial suspect was a family member named Bernard LaRoche who was a cousin of Jean Marie and he was arrested and there was some testimony um, from his sister-in-law that was like placed him at the time of the murder and then later was recanted and she was 15 and there was some thoughts that maybe she had been like beaten when she got home by the family Mm -hmm. that forced her to um, retract all of that and then they suspected Christine herself, and then Jean Marie kind of loses it and shoots Bernard Laroche dead because he still thinks he's the murderer. He goes to jail, and then it's it's this whole crazy thing. Yes. It's a saga. The one consistent thing through this entire story is the role that the media played. Mm-hmm. Which if you want to talk about media circus. This is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. I don't. What are your thoughts? On, because you've seen this, what are your thoughts on um, this as a whole?
2: This one is a little long-winded. I will. Yeah, this
1: one as far. Like this. It's a little long Content is good, mm-hmm. but it it seemed to drag a little bit. Yeah. It was kind of. Uh, hard to follow, but that's because mm-hmm. the story itself is really very confusing. It's very hard to confusing. follow. Yeah, hard to
2: follow. Yeah. There's so much conspiracy around it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, it's very like a murder mystery. The whole case itself is just like this big, bumbling fucking disaster. disaster. Yeah, disaster. Yeah. And it just pits family members against family members, and the media just does whatever they want. Whenever they want, it's like, there's no rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. They're just, like, up in these people's faces, at their homes, at their place of business, just, like, all over the place. And it's a tiny, I mean, they descended Mm -hmm. on this tiny
1: town who had never had media coverage like Mm -hmm. that ever for anything. And people were, by the end of it, like so annoyed with the constant like media presence mm-hmm. but they were like forcing their way into the police station and into the courtrooms and trying to insert themselves with members of the family and and like there were definitely like the there was like the pro Laroche camp and the anti Laroche camp and like oh my god it was so divisive mm-hmm. yeah. but it's worth a watch I mean I would say we do caution you because it is like kind of tough to get through and I think it's just it's because the yeah it's a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a lot it drags a little bit and you kind of gotta sift through some of the garbage but like it's definitely worth watching just for info on the case because this mm-hmm. is not one that I was familiar with at all it's definitely worth a watch so it's called Who Killed Little Gregory it is on Netflix now Um, check it out This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are talking about murder. Duh. (laughs) Some pretty gory stuff. Mm. Mine's not gory. Mine kind of is. Um, Child death. I know on mine. You got any specific warnings? Nope. Okay. (laughs) Let's get started then. I was thinking what could I use now more than a vacation? <laughs> Except now that I'm thinking, now that we've done research, no, part of me is like, I should never take a vacation again in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're looking at some murders that happened while folks were on vacation, a time that should be comfortable and freeing. Not always. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> so I am going to be looking at... Um, the murder of the Rogers women. Ooh. So, we're going to start actually with Oba Chandler. He was born October 11th, 1946, and he was the fourth of fifth children. His parents, Oba Chandler Sr. and Margaret Johnson, raised him and his siblings in Cincinnati, Ohio. Unfortunately, at the age of 10, Chandler's father hanged himself in the family basement um, or in the basement of the family apartment and this affected him greatly which was most evident at the funeral when he reported uh, he reportedly jumped into his father's grave as it was being covered in dirt I saw one of the descriptions saying that they would like every time they would throw dirt onto the coffin he'd like jump down in there and like stamp it down so I don't know if it was like an emotional thing or Mm -hmm. if it was just like a kid being a kid Mm -hmm. like trying to help quote unquote help who knows um in his adult years, Chandler was the father of 13 children from Yikes. 12 mothers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, four of which were given up for adoption. Uh, by this point, he had managed to accumulate quite the police record. After being arrested 20 times as a juvenile, mainly for stealing cars, in adulthood, he was charged with possession of counterfeit money, loitering, burglary, kidnapping, and armed ro- robbery, among other things. He had even been accused of masturbating while looking into a woman's window and receiving 21 wigs stolen from a beauty parlor.
2: I mean, you know, it's <laughs> like
1: different ends of the crime it's like, spectrum. It's like
2: good packaging. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, there was another
1: incident in which Chandler and an accomplice robbed a Florida couple at gunpoint after breaking into their home. On May 26, 1989, Joan Rogers, who was 36 at the time, and her two daughters, Michelle, who was 17, and Chrissy, who was 14, were traveling back to their home in Ohio after visiting Disney World in Orlando. It was the very first time the family had left their home state of Ohio to vacation. They went to Florida. It's a very Midwest thing to like, Mm -hmm. the first time you leave, you go down to Florida or you go up north to Wisconsin and like go camping. Like that's a... At least here in Illinois, that's the very like Midwest thing th- mm-hmm. thing to do. Authorities believe that after leaving Orlando around nine am while on their way home, they became a bit lost and then decided to just take an extra vacation day in Tampa, Florida. Uh, while searching for their hotel, they met Oba Chandler, who graciously wrote down some directions to the day's in for the Rogers women. Chandler also offered to take the three women on a sunset cruise on his boat called the Gypsy One. They accepted and continued on to their hotel, arriving at the hotel around 12.30 p.m. The Rogers family hung around the hotel taking pictures and such and eating dinner at the hotel restaurant around 7.30. Um, Photos from a, a roll of film found in the room show that the girls were still there just as sunset began, but the time in the restaurant at, like, 7.30. That was the last time that they were actually seen alive. Hmm. Authorities believe Rogers met Chandler at his boat on the Courtney Campbell Causeway between 8.30 and 9.30 p.m. and that they had been murdered by 3 a.m. the following morning. However, their bodies weren't found until the following week. Housekeeping staff at the Days Inn noticed that their room had remained empty for a whole week, and obviously, like, they hadn't checked out at that point. Yeah. They informed the manager, who immediately phoned police, and as they began their search, police found the Rogers' car abandoned next to a boat ramp off of the Courtney Campbell Causeway. Upon searching for the car, they discovered a brochure with written directions, Um, And they continued their search, and on June 4th, several people on a sailboat going underneath the Sunshine Skyway saw an object in the water, and this was the first body found of the Rogers family. The second was discovered off of the pier in St. Petersburg, approximately two miles north of the first. And literally like as the Coast Guard was pulling the second body out, they got the call of the discovery of the third that was just east of the pier where they were at. All three women were found with their legs and arms bound in a cinder block tied by a rope around their neck. And they were also naked from the waist down. Autopsies showed water in the lungs of all three women, indicating that they had been alive before being thrown into the water. It took another week for the women to to be positively identified, and at that point, their father um, their father and husband, Hal Rogers, had filed a missing persons report in Ohio. And of course, they're being discovered down in Florida, so mm-hmm. it takes a little bit to like get that connection police had been able to pull fingerprints from the Days In hotel room and match those to the bodies that had been recovered. This, along with a final match of dental records, proved that the bodies were those of Joan, Michelle, and Christy Rogers. And so an investigation began into the murders of the Rogers women and how they ended up in the water. Because that's not just somewhere you end up. You don't just tie yourself up and throw yourself in. Not the last time I checked. Nope. A resident kitchen just came in for the height of the story. <laughs> <laughs> so they began looking into how they ended up in the water, and according to marine researchers from the University of South Florida, they were able to study the currents and patterns in the water to determine that they had been thrown from the boat versus like being thrown in from dry land or from a bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, police began asking the public for any tips in the case, which they definitely like got an influx of, which is part of the reason um, why it took so long to find the person that they had killed them Is they were just like sifting through all of these tips that mm-hmm. they had gotten. The most important seemed to come from a police bulletin regarding the investigation into a similar rape in the area that had occurred just two weeks beforehand. Judy Blair, the victim of the rape, said that she had met a man that offered to take her on a sunset cruise on his boat. Without a second thought, she went on a ride with the man through Tampa Bay and the Gulf of Mexico, and while they were gone, she was raped and believed that had it not been for her friend who was waiting for her back on the dock, she also would have been killed. But because there was, like, somebody expecting her back, um, she's, like, pretty sure that's what saved her life. So Judy Blair went in and made a composite drawing that was printed in the newspaper, along with info about both the rape and the triple murder. And I know how you feel about composite drawings. Mm -hmm. I could not find what this one looked like, (laughs) but it seemed to help in this case. police believed the handwriting found on the brochure in the car held the key to who the killer was and posted images of the handwriting on billboards around the Tampa area. That's an interesting way. (laughs) It is. Yeah. This was actually the first time that U.S. law enforcement used billboards in this way. And this kind of like set the precedent to use it for future missing persons cases, which is a plus. I mean, that's like, I think that's a, positive way to like use the billboards not long after the sketch in the newspaper and the billboards went up chandler fled the area selling his boat before he left luckily a former neighbor of chandler's recognized the handwriting from the billboard and called the police the neighbor was actually able to provide a copy of a work order that chandler had written for them that they had and They took this work order, put it through a handwriting analysis from an expert, and the two were a match. And so between the investigation, putting the info out into the public, and Chandler fleeing with his family, because he was married with kids at this point, it took three years before he was arrested for the murders of Joan, Michelle, and Christy in September of 1992. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that. Yeah. And I know it just had to do with getting the right tip in, but the fact Mm -hmm. that he just like fled. Yeah. I'm sure that slowed everything down. Mm -hmm. Um, Chandler, of course, denied murdering the women. In testimony during his trial, Chandler had said he only met the women briefly when he had given them directions, but then he was out fishing alone the night the murders occurred. He had to admit that he was on Tampa Bay at that evening um, because he was confronted with records of three ship-to-shore calls. Mm -hmm. And that from that night but even still like he claimed that he was alone fishing and in explaining his late return to shore he had said that his engine didn't start from what was a suspected gas leak um, he claimed to have called the Coast Guard and the Florida Marine Patrol and attempted to flag down a patrol boat but all were too busy to help um, after some time fixing he, he like fixed the line with duct tape just like put duct tape on it Mm -hmm. and then he was able to return to shore now this of course was in direct conflict with a record of coast guard and marine patrol movement that evening neither agency had any records of distress calls nor did they have any records that any boats were out on the bay that morning that could have helped him. so they're kind of like yeah we we don't think so. We don't know about this. Uh, there was also testimony from a boat mechanic that I could speak to better if I knew anything about motors. <laughs> but... Essentially, it's the model boat that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, The fuel lines were directed upward. And so if there was a gas leak, the gas would have been like spraying into the air instead of down into the boat. And he also pointed out that the gasoline would have dissolved the adhesive on the duct tape. So like there was no way that you could just like put duct tape around it and call it a day. Mm -hmm. Of course... Judy Blair testified at trial as well regarding the uh, rape to show a pattern of attack and similarities between her attack and the murder of the Rogers woman. She had given Blair a fake name. Or I'm sorry, uh, Chandler had given Blair a fake name of David Posner, and he had told her that he worked on aluminum siding, which you know I it's love. A fake job, <laughs> not a fake job, but and actually, I'm pretty sure it's that's a how con the con
2: man job. Uh, it sounds like it, right?
1: Well, and it was definitely like mm-hmm. an under the table, mm-hmm. off the record aluminum siding contractor, essentially. And I'm pretty sure that's how the neighbor got the work order from him is because he did their aluminum siding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know how I love my operation names. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that whole thing about him being an aluminum siding contractor, mm-hmm. uh, that is also how it, this whole case got the
2: name Operation Tin Man. <laughs> <laughs> Except aluminum and tin are two different things, but okay. I mean, I don't think they're going for accuracy. Uh,
1: yeah. I'm pretty. sure It wouldn't be on the same punch if it was Operation Aluminum Man. Yes, Operation Aluminum Foil. Whoa. Oh, that would have been really good because of foil. Can man, be they so dropped. Oh my god, go the man, they dropped the ball on that one. That would have been so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they called it Operation Tin Man. <laughs> <laughs> Blair then went on to detail the rape it was also revealed in court testimony that the man who purchased the boat from Chandler, um, his name is Robert Carlton, he bought the boat when Chandler was fleeing Florida he testified that he received the boat in like spotless condition, like totally
2: spotless Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) he also recalled seeing concrete blocks like sitting outside of Chandler's residence when he went to go pick the boat up that were similar to the blocks that um, the Rogers women were found with.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not uncommon for people to use those as weights. Right, right. So if you were to set it like on the boat there's a couple blocks tied together, Mm -hmm. they're be like, oh, okay, but you're at his house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a little,
1: it's given the uh, extenuating circumstances I would say it's a little suspect. Mm -hmm. Um, Although in normal day, like everyday life, it would not be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then Chandler's daughter, Crystal Mays, testified saying that he had left when she was seven and they hadn't reconnected until the mid eighties when she hired a private detective to find him. Um, when he was found, he was incarcerated in Florida. And so, like, Mays, along with her sister, Valerie Lynn Troxell, went to go visit him. And, like, before this, they had not really had a relationship with him at all. Uh, she then testified that in November 1989, she received a phone message with the phone number of a Cincinnati motel where he could be reached. So, Crystal Mays and her husband went to the motel where they found Chandler in, like, this very nervous, anxious state. They talked about how when they went into the room, there was, like, a shit ton of cups of coffee and, like, ashtrays just filled to the brim. And he Hmm. was, like, obviously very agitated. Mm -hmm. They noticed his jeep had been backed in front of another building, not the building he was staying in, but a totally separate building, and that he had backed it in in order to obscure his license plate.
2: Makes sense. <laughs>
0: I
1: mean, if you're running from something, it does. Mm-hmm. When... They entered the room. Chandler told the couple that he couldn't go back to Florida because police were looking for him for a rape. Didn't say anything about the murder. Never said he was guilty of the rape or murder, but just that police were looking for him. He then instructed the family not to tell anyone where he was, and they just, like, never spoke of it again. Hmm. It's like, okay.
2: Okay. (laughs) Um,
1: so after this entire trial ultimately Chandler was found guilty on November 4th 1994 he was sentenced to death and continued to maintain his innocence and he spent the next few years on Florida's death row pursuing appeals later he would admit to the rape of Judy Blair but insisted that it had been consensual and that Blair changed her mind halfway through because that is how it works Yeah, totally
2: so it just i half raped her yeah yeah Yeah.
1: i read that and i was like oh my god that's so infuriating like and even if she had changed her mind then you get the fuck off Mm -hmm. um prosecutors made a conscious decision not to prosecute chandler for the rape since he had already been sentenced to death and to avoid emotional trauma for Blair to come back into court and re-testify about this rape. It sounded to me like they had discussed this with her and that she was fine with it. I don't know for sure that they had, but it didn't seem to me like Blair was like actively trying to pursue prosecution mm-hmm. for it. Not long after the guilty conviction, Chandler's wife filed for divorce And he was barred from seeing. (laughs) Yeah, he was barred from seeing their daughter or like even having any pictures of her or anything in prison. Interestingly enough. Um, in 2001 Chandler's name was invoked yet again when investigators were looking into a discovery of a fourth woman's body in 1989 Mm -hmm. she had been found floating off Anna Maria Island with a white rope tied to a concrete block that had been tied to her chest and waist so you can see some similarities Mm -hmm. there were quite a few more hurdles in that case though because the woman had never been identified and Mm -hmm. Chandler still had not admitted guilt in the murder of the Rogers women. So, like, he definitely did not admit guilt to any additional crimes. While it appeared to be similar at the outset, the Rogers women had actually been stripped from the waist down and the Jane Doe that they had found was still wearing pants, which is sounds like a small difference, but it is a big difference when you're talking uh, M.O.s. Mm Mm-hmm. Profiling experts have speculated that Chandler may have killed previously as it was like really bold to abduct three women at one time. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something that you typically see with um what you would consider unexperienced killers. Mm-hmm. It's really only something that you see with people who have killed before and are like kinda know how it all works in the case of the jane doe she was eventually identified as 29 year old amy hurst she was identified in 2001 um, with the use of dna and her husband was arrested and charged with her murder shortly thereafter
0: Hmm.
1: so he was cleared of that one chandler's final appeal uh, was filed in may of 2007 it was denied along with all of his previous appeals On October 10th, 2011, Florida Governor Rick Scott signed Chandler's death warrant and his execution date was set for November 15th. He was executed at 4.08 p.m. at the Florida State Prison in Rayford. And while he didn't have an official recorded last statement, he had left a written statement with one of the uh, prison guards that said, quote, you are killing an innocent man today. His final meal was two salami sandwiches on white bread with mustard. He requested a peanut butter and grape jelly. I know. (laughs) It's all boring. He requested a peanut butter and grape jelly sandwich on white bread, but only ate half of it. And he had ordered an iced tea, but drank coffee instead. I know. He's originally from Ohio. We're not exciting up here.
2: But I mean, there's so much more like you could have just than just a sandwich.
1: And not even, uh, this is what kills me, not even with cheese. <laughs> Salami and mustard on white. It's classic. Ugh. <laughs> no, thank you. It's classic school lunch. <laughs> um, so he was executed on the 15th. Now, in an interesting turn of events, in February 2014, Uh police were able to use DNA to identify Chandler in another Florida cold case. Hmm. Twenty-three year old oh oh boy, here we go. Okay, sorry, I'm gonna apologize away in advance. Twenty-three year old Ivalise Barrios (laughs) Biguries I'm sorry, I discovered she was discovered dead in November nineteen ninety. She was last seen leaving work at the Sawgrass Mills Mall, which was kind of in the same area um, that he was at in Florida. Her husband went to find her and called police after finding her car with two slashed tires. Three hours later, her police discovered her body with ligature marks on both wrists and ankles and brown packing tape stuck in her hair. Authority believed that after watching Ivalice for two days, Chandler slashed her tires and then showed up as the Good Samaritan mm. offering some help. Seems you got a car break down there. I can help you. I'll just get in my car. It's like, mm-hmm. no, nope. no, thank you. Mm-mm. Two slashed tires. So. Call the police right away. <laughs> oh, my God. Totally. <laughs> Do not pass go. <laughs> yeah. And this the only the issue is, is it would have been in 1990, mm-hmm. Um, still even in the early 90s, like. Hitchhiking, getting into cars yeah. with strangers is still mall. pretty common. But a mall, and go to the mall, a yeah, pay, pay phone. That was that's, a thing. Yeah, and that's the <laughs> other thing, is it's not like they had cell phones to just, like, mm-hmm. call 911. She would have had to go in. But there's this good Samaritan that just came along that happened to be here, and now I don't mm-hmm. have to go in and do all that. Mm-hmm. He could just take me home. Because um, it sounded like she didn't live far from there, either. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, DNA was collected in the 90s, but 90s testing ain't got they nothing. Did nothing <laughs> ain't got nothing on modern day DNA testing, mm-hmm. as we can tell with things like uh, genetic family trees and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. That's so, like even thinking back tonight, it's like they nothing. It's like, like
2: this beans. is a one in a bajillion maybe possibility.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so they were able to test it and it did come back positive for Chandler. Police have said that, that were Chandler still alive he would be charged with the crime mm-hmm. um, and they do continue to look into cold cases in the area that Chandler was known to reside. So it seems to me that the DNA or not the DNA um, the criminal profiler was pretty on point when he said the fact that he had abducted three women at one time mm-hmm. was pretty Pretty bold for somebody who would have been killing for the first time. Yeah, and so I personally think there may be more out there, Mm -hmm. but it takes a long time to reopen and reinvestigate cases.
2: Yeah, Um, and that's to say if someone was even found, right? Mm -hmm. Right. If they just remain missing and there's absolutely no evidence, there's no one to, you know, yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: Although I do find it interesting that if. If he had killed before, um, that in the case of Judy Blair, he would have let her go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, like, some having somebody waiting on you seemed to be the the reason that he let her go. But like, mm-hmm. also at the same time, I I think. I mean, someone could have saw
2: them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That could have scared him enough.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think in the cases of known serial killers and people that have been studied, if that was something that happened. Um, But even then, like in the 90s, it was not very common to report rapes Mm -hmm. or sexual assaults. And like even in her telling and testimony, she talked about how She went back, she just wanted to go home and take a shower, didn't Mm -hmm. tell her parents. She did tell the friend she was with as soon as like her parents had left. Um, But after that, it was just, they just kind of like dropped it, you know, so. But that is the story of the murder of the Rogers women.
2: all right so for mine i too will take you to a tropical locale
1: you do really vacation any other places <laughs> i don't like
2: tropical locales no nope. you I... rather go in a forest yeah where okay. there's mountains or i really Seclusion? like this i like the southwest okay um i mean not all the murder and all the pacific
1: know, northwest is where it's people at for living me in
2: disparity but you know mm, yes. i like cactuses yeah <laughs> and I, like, I, like I like the warm. Good cactus. <laughs> Um. So I, I don't know if you remember that I went to the Dominican Republic for my brother's destination wedding. I do remember oh, all the saltiness in that sentence. <laughs> I um, didn't hear
1: any. It sounded like you had a lovely time. It was wonderful.
2: The <laughs> piñatas. Um. But after like two weeks, after we had left, there was like a rash of people dying in the Dominican Republic. Oh yeah. And one woman was beaten in a resort that was right next to ours. Like oh, some my God. guy took a shirt from the resort like that made him look like he worked there, drug her into a fucking basement engineering room, and beat her. And that was it. Didn't do any, didn't steal, just beat her. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's fucked up. Did he? Part of me feels like that would be something
1: that would be like an attempted rape. I would think um, so. Yeah, and then he thought midway through, this is way too much trouble than it's worth. If she was like fighting back, mm-hmm. just like beat the shit out of her. Like beat I could see that happening because that is weird ever. to just pull somebody aside and beat them beat and them. then leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's um, wild. so,
2: um, I was really excited to hear that and made me want to not travel anywhere ever again, yeah. <laughs> especially to a fucking island. It made me never want to leave my um, house. but it got me thinking about the Dominican Republic and mm-hmm. what other crimes have happened there. Lots. And lots. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. So this story is going to take place opposite side of the island than I was at. This is, um, where people would be considered, uh, the real dr i'm gonna gonna refer to it as dr intermittently okay um so this would be like
1: not necessarily the destination part but like where people live
2: yeah where people live there are places in these sides of the island where you can like rent villas okay um but it is not the most touristy side of the island okay so Daryl Fornitura was a 45-year-old tennis bro who was recently divorced, kind of living his best bachelor life. I thought you
1: said tennis bro for a second. I mean, he does
2: look a little bro <laughs> So you'd be a tennis pro bro. Oh, no. Um, he was an avid surfer, and he enjoyed traveling around the world. His sister described him as just living life big. That's how he was. He loved to surf. I mean, he worked to surf. It was his passion. He loved it. Women, surf, and food. And that's pretty much what made him tick in that order. So, you he know, does look very, like a very bachelory. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I can see that. Mm-hmm. He particularly liked to vacation in areas that are known for really interesting surf spots. And that's what kind of led him to go to the, the DR, the Dominican Republic. Uh, he and his, Matt, his friend Matt Rigby who was like a small plane pilot, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting key point into this story, okay. um, decided to take a six-day surfing vacation trip to a rented villa in the town of Cabareta, And that's like a small fishing town on the north coast of the Dominican Republic. Okay, Rigby piloted a plane and they landed in the town of Puerto Plata on January 26, 2016. They rented a car and drove to their rented villa in the Parallel Marina, which is ten minutes outside of the town of Cabaretta. Fornaturo kept his parents in the loop the entire time. He was checking in with his mom. He kept like sending her updates like we just landed. Yeah. Get in a car. Good for him. Really on it. Yeah. That's Um, good.
1: I feel I am the worst at that. Like if you ask (laughs) my mom, there have definitely been times where I'll go away and then just like not say anything for like three days. (laughs) And then She'll be yeah, like, are you alive?" That's <laughs> when you get the text that's like, are you dead?
2: Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> Not this time. Not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> So at 628 on um, that Tuesday, Fornitura texted his mother that he was going on an epic day, spending nice. five hours in the water. Nice. Sounds pretty epic. It's <laughs> like, shred, shred. <laughs> Shredding up them waves. Um, so after this time, his mother, Nancy, had not heard anything from him at all. So that was the last time he texted her. So she grew a little concerned. Okay. Um, but she you know, was like, he's a grown fucking man. She kind of shrugged it off at first and went to bed that night. Now, when it came to be Thursday, she was really concerned. Both his parents started to worry. They started making phone calls to other friends and his place of work to see if maybe he checked in with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, they hadn't heard anything from him. No texts, no emails, nothing. So, okay. 8.30 a.m. that Friday, for Noturo, um his parents received a phone call from Matt Rigby. Alright. He stated that That's he That's the friend? Yes, with the, the one he was with. Okay. He had stated that he had not heard from Daryl since Wednesday. Okay, and this is Friday. Okay. According to Rigby, Daryl was leaving on a surf scout to the nearby town of Soosa with a man named Gaspar. Daryl and Matt had rented surfboards from Gaspar the day before, so they were kind of familiar with him. He's like, I could take you to a nice surfing spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daryl went on his own. Hours later, Daryl allegedly returned to the villa, acting extremely paranoid, and This is what Matt said. Daryl's behaving strangely, saying he wanted to get out of there. And he's like, "Let's fly home, let's go So Rigby told him that it would be fine. he shouldn't be so paranoid. He suggested that they go into town and shop around the local market, kind of relax, mm-hmm. shake it off, maybe not you know go out for the on the water that day, kind of take it slow, yeah. So they head into town, and Matt steps into a store, and when he comes back outside, Daryl had vanished.
1: Okay, I'm instantly already distrustful of this um, mad guy, yeah, cause I always feel like anytime you're getting this like this type of story from one person, um in any mm-hmm. case, it's always like, yeah, but that sounds like kind of a load of
2: bullshit. <laughs> just a little. Okay. Just go to BS. Yeah. Um, now, the Fornituras asked Rigby of the status of the hunt for their son in the DR. To their shock, Rigby stated he was back in uh, West Palm Beach calling them from Daryl's office. Oh. As he was looking for their phone number because his phone was gone.
1: So, he just, oh my God. So, he flew back to good To Florida. Friend. What a good friend. <laughs> My friend is missing on this island. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> cool. Cool guy. Yep.
2: According to the reports um, that I read, Rigby never called the police or the U.S. Embassy in the Dominican Republic. Now, after he informs the Fornituros, uh he then flies back to the Dominican Republic. So he flies to Florida, tells them, waits a day, and flies back to the DR. Okay. With him is his wife and $5,000 to pay for a private search and rescue man. Now, a private search and rescue man is kind of like a PI down there. Okay. They usually handle people who are missing in
1: other countries. Okay. So still not like going to the
2: embassy or anything. Okay. Sure. Now, the man's name was Leon Alter, and he was a Canadian expat and founder of Crime Stoppers Dominican Republic. And he was hired to hunt for Daryl. When the fornitero's called the embassy to check on this guy, all they could say was that he was involved and had no other information. So really fucking sketchy. Right. Now Daryl's sister Christina and her husband decided to head down there to see what the fuck was up, like they were like, "No one is calling the police, no one is actively putting in anything at the embassy like we need to go down there." Yeah. So she flows, she flies down there and she arrives and gets to Cabaretta and She had made arrangements before she left to meet up with Rigby, uh, Matt Rigby, to make sure that she knew where she was going, where Mm -hmm. the villa was, what places to check out. So she calls him. And he goes, oh, man, me and my wife had just flown back. Right. Okay.
1: Yep. Sure. (laughs) Because you totally
2: didn't know they were coming. Mm -mm, Not at all. Oh my god, this is so sketchy. This is sketchy as fuck. Now, once Daryl's sister and brother in law see Cabaretta, they realize just how fucked up this place is and how fucked this whole case is gonna be. Oh god. Now, Cabaretta, according to Christina, is isolated and the wild, wild west of the Dominican Republic. Okay. And she stated this in an interview. The countless stories we heard of tourists being drugged, their drinks being drugged, marijuana being laced, set up with prostitutes, set up by driving, being stopped on the road by police, and... Give me $1,000 or you're under arrest situations. And interestingly, when we uncovered all of these stories, the common theme for those were that were targeted were single, Western males. Okay. So they're painting this picture. There's a lot of kind of corrupt kind of activities happening in this town in particular. Yeah.
1: Now, do you get the feeling that it is actually like that down there, or do you feel like it's being colored by, like, Western? Okay, it is actually like that. (laughs) Well, I I think that's a fair question, because it's easy for somebody from
2: the mainland to
1: come back and be like, this
2: place is fucking crazy! I was on the resort side, which is considered the safe side, and the beaches are still public over there, but they have resort police that stand outside the resort on the public beach to make mm-hmm. sure that people aren't bothering the tourists. Okay. And we were out there at nine o'clock at night, maybe. There's no like out when it's that late, there's yeah. no lifeguard or in the resort police don't aren't out there at night. Yeah. But you can still walk the beach and you can still sit in the villas yeah. that are connected to your um resort. And there were people walking around trying to sell things to you. Oh my God. But okay. like shady stuff. Yeah. We had like, like, four drugs? people trying to sell us drugs okay. within a span of ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and we're okay. like, no, thank you. No, thank you. We wanted to take a picture of the Ooh, beach at night. Please tempting, go away. But nah. Not at all. Tempting <laughs> if you saw these people. No,
1: I'm sure. Like, no. Okay, so it is, actually. Because there then, is, I think there is this kind of, some sometimes, I'm not saying in this case, but sometimes there is, like, an overbuilt perception of people who live in Western culture that... Uh, you go to some of these places and it might not be that bad, but it's like, holy fuck, this place is really bad. You would never, be-. but like, if it's actually like that, mm-hmm. then okay.
2: And the fact that people, so what wound up happening to those people who had died in the Dominican Republic was that mm-hmm. their um, alcohol in their mini fridge was laced with something. Like oh, okay. It, they said in the newspaper yeah, that it was right. bad alcohol. They had, something was intentionally put into those things and sealed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, There's a lot of push in a couple of the islands down there to not be resort towns anymore. Mm -hmm. But that is the main job of a lot of people. Yeah,
1: they would have like no industry if that stuff was pulled out of there.
2: Um, So it is this catch-22 in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get it. Resorts ruin your natural habitat. (laughs) They ruin... The economy of the people that are living there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't like to go to places um, where the only industry is resorts, tourism, and
1: and tourism. Yeah.
2: That's just me. Mm -hmm. I would have never gone to the Dominican Republic if my brother hadn't gotten married there. Yeah. I would have never ever gone. Yeah. I just don't feel that that is right. Yeah. Um, no, I get it. I, I, have get what a, you're I coming from. have opinions, from. obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just on this, you say? Just a little bit of an opinion. <laughs> um, so, bear that in mind as we're going through this. But okay. the drugging people, definitely. I've heard lots of stories of people being drugged and robbed. Yeah. Um, not too much about people being hurt. So, this is the interesting part. Now... I'm going to give you some cautionary trip advice, okay? This is going to be Janelle's Janelle's life pro trip tips. corner, okay? Especially if you're a U.S. citizen. First of all, pretend you're British. Don't tell anyone you're from the U.S. Put on that fake accent. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever someone asks you where you're from and you say the U.S. Canada? Canada? Can you get away
1: Canada with Canada? Canada would be good, too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Canada would be easier in for certain, us in certain countries
2: don't yeah. say you're from the US. No. <laughs>
1: Actually in most countries just don't say okay. you're from
2: the US. Second at this point. Research the area you're going to. I mean really fucking research it. Mm-hmm. Not like the best ten spots to be in the sun. Mm-hmm. Like research the area. Mm-hmm. Third, if you want to go somewhere exotic and unattained, don't. I mean it. Don't do it. Don't fucking go. You yes. will die. Yep. <laughs> yep. And if you really, 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 really want to go, okay, yeah. you're an idiot, first of all. But second, hire <laughs> a reputable person to escort you no matter the cost. If mm-hmm. you're going to fucking go to the Amazon forest, fucking hire someone to take you. Yeah. Don't just be like, I read it on Travel Guide. I yeah. can do it. TripAdvisor told me where to go. No. no. You don't know the area. Yeah. You already had to take a million shots to get there. Take the fucking hint maybe you don't belong but -hmm. also if you want to go fucking prepare yourself okay right right. (laughs) um and if you know someone who is a national to that country ask them to be your escort Mm -hmm. if you have a friend who's already living in that country yeah ask them to take you around yeah yeah. It's always better to be seen with someone who speaks the language, who is a native. Yeah.
1: Um, well, and they're going to know like,
2: places mm-hmm. to stay away from, places that are safe, exactly. places that are, yeah. Just do your due diligence. Um, we were planning on going to Japan, which is very friendly, but yes. we are still going to have someone who we know that is friends with us, who lives there mm-hmm. part time, mm-hmm. escort us around. Yeah, it's just better. Man, yeah, talk about just, a
1: language difference.
2: Ooh, oh yeah, I mean, there's really great apps that you can yeah do a lot of conversions. But yeah, even Google um, Translate has gotten way better. Yeah, way way better. But in certain places where it's like the entire country is developing, mm-hmm. and um, you know, when I heard we were going to the the DR, I went on. There's like a U.S. travel list that you mm-hmm. can go on to see where the the um how cautious you need to be when you're traveling to certain places. Yeah. Um. I know that sounds a little, like, scary, but check it out. See why people suggest to have caution. Um, There's a lot of political and socioeconomical things happening in countries that we don't see in the news Yes, and we don't understand, Um, True. and genocides and civil wars that are occurring in smaller countries that we will never know about until Mm -hmm. we decide to fucking travel there. Mm -hmm. So do your homework, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you'll know why you're not supposed to go into that one town where you could get kidnapped. Exactly. (laughs) I agree with all of these points. (laughs) So, um, the Fornituros decided to be smart, and Christina and her husband hired an escort on the island um, to guide them around. They attempted to solicit help from local authorities to no avail. Everything had a price. Everything that they were asking people to help them with had a fucking price, so right. they were having difficulties. Um, they put up a bunch of posters, and as they were going around, they realized that they were being tore down immediately. Oh. Not suspicious at all. Okay. Okay. The Crime Stoppers dude that was supposedly helping them, who was hired by Matt Rigby, was actually not doing anything beyond printing flyers and posting them. He wasn't even doing any research or interviewing people or oh anything. Yeah. He didn't go to the embassy, he didn't go to the authorities. He just yeah. printed posters.
1: Well and the thing is for five thousand dollars.
2: Yeah. The <laughs> thing is,
1: is even with crime stopper organizations, they're not like if it's anything related to US crime stoppers, mm-hmm. they are not an investigative agency they're not they are a like tip an, agency yeah they're
2: like a neighborhood watch yeah you
1: watch yeah. that <laughs> exactly their their primary function is to receive tips on cases so they're not an investigative body so I even if it wasn't five thousand dollars it was just crime Stoppers doing it out of their goodness of their heart I really would not have expected them to do anything other than put up flyers mm-hmm. you know exactly
2: so um they kind of started researching a little bit more they hired their own private detectives good idea they also found out that the market that daryl was in had security cameras okay so they attempted to solicit uh, more information about those upon further inspection they realized that dates around the time that he was there were missing of course okay um the guide Gaspar that was hired had also told them that he had no information about daryl it also appeared that there were no witnesses from the last place he was seen, and the couple was completely, utterly frustrated, and they decided to return to the U.S. and kind of let the private detectives take over. They had hired three Detectives. Okay, <laughs> uh, I think one was in the U.S., one was through the embassy, and one was in the Dominican Republic. I mean, smart. You have clearly, to clearly like, kind of
1: cover all your bases. Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. Especially when you're talking another country, because mm-hmm. people, as much as I hate to say it, people working within that country may not necessarily have your best, best interest. interest in mind. Mm-hmm. And especially when you aren't planning on staying in the country to oversee the investigation, which I get not doing that. Like, mm-hmm. you, it's hard for people to commit months and months and months to like living in DR mm-hmm. um, without having a job, like income coming in, unless they are like financially independent completely. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. So, one of the detectives, Richard Pimentel, Was able to kind of uncover some precarious information. Okay. Pimentel was able to track down a promising lead, the last known person who saw Daryl outside the surf shop where Matt Rigby said he last saw his friend. So uh, this is Pimentel talking. I found a witness, a Canadian national. Her name is Jacqueline Beck. She said that she was walking into town and saw Daryl and Matt walking in front of her, and she noticed that Daryl was acting irrational. And then when Matt went into the store, Daryl approached her and asked her for help. He said, I need to leave this country. He was paranoid, asking if there were any gangs in Cabaretta, if there were any mobs. She asked him if he had consumed marijuana. He said yes. And then Daryl had panicked a little bit because a couple of kids approached her that were locals, and he backed off from her and left. So
1: it's like sounding more like he had laced, like something laced in marijuana, Mm I think, that was causing him hallucinations or Um, paranoid thoughts. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'll get to what I
1: think. Okay. Okay. Sorry. What This is me reasoning it out as we go. Mm -hmm. I should stop doing that.
2: Okay. (laughs) Now, Pimentel also tracked down Gaspar again. And according to Gaspar, he wanted to show Daryl a good surfing spot. But um, he was not really. Showing him a good spot, uh, so the spot he was taking him to was in a different area because mm-hmm. um, he said that he was more familiar with this area. And when they went to the beach, um, it was the place called Sausa. Now he was obviously lying because Sausa is not a good surfing spot. <laughs> okay, um, and he was not showing him anything that was special. This bar was very shady. Um, people around town called him a player. Oh boy. So someone who's kind of trying to pull fast ones on people. Yeah. Now, Sausa is also known for being a really big hotspot for drugs. Okay. And also prostitution. Oh, great. Okay. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the seediest area yeah. in that region. Like the red light district of DR? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, So it is very possible that he could have purchased something that was laced because that's kind of what they're known for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Richard Pimentel then met with the local officer in charge of the case and received some pretty shocking fucking information. I wanted to compare notes and he just cut me off and he said, oh, that case is closed oh we have two witnesses that saw him walk into the water and never come out he drowned okay. that case is closed yeah sure mm-hmm. no
0: no
2: <laughs> so... no that's not that's what okay according to the dominican replace witnesses on Cabrera beach claim they saw daryl wade into the water and not come come back at all okay
1: mm-hmm. i don't believe that for one second yeah. I do not believe that for one second.
2: Yeah. So in D- in the DR, the news was dead, um, but in Florida, they kept running a bunch of um, news stories because the family was in from Florida. Mm-hmm. And finally, there seemed to be like this sparkle of hope after a long segment on his disappearance ran on a local TV station. All of a sudden, his wallet washes ashore in the Dominican Republic. Oh okay inside of his wallet was his id all of his credit cards and 462 dollars of wet wet cash
1: <laughs> so it doesn't sound like he was robbed no if all of that was still in there also
2: gives credence to him walking into the water mm, i don't know Mm-hmm. Um, this still did not change the status of the case in the Dominican Republic. And the cherry on top is uh, that Matt Rigby decided to get a lawyer. Okay.
0: Also, another
2: fun fact that we find out is that Matt Rigby had taken all of Daryl's possessions with him when he left before he called the Fornituras. And that includes a GoPro a digital camera, a laptop, and all of his clothes.
1: So this would have been like the stuff that he had with him in doctor mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Yep. Now once the family got back all of his stuff, because they were like, um, you took his stuff, mm-hmm. give it fucking here, they went through everything and they did some digging and uncovered some weird shit. So while Daryl and Matt were on the island, Rigby was sending him emails instead of calling him and texting him. Okay. Just sending emails, no other form of communication. Very weird.
1: The only explanation. Let me let me rephrase. The only plausible explanation mm-hmm. I could see for that is that they didn't have um, anything other than Wi-Fi. So you would or you didn't want to use like part of your phone plan or upgrade your phone plan to be international. Mm-hmm. That's about the only thing that I could see that being
2: a thing. Well, Daryl was calling and texting his mom repeatedly.
1: Yeah. Oh, so yeah. His good phone point. Worked. Good point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll also point out, too, um, that. Just because you lawyer up does not mean that you are guilty. I think it's It's very smart to lawyer up, Mm -hmm. especially if you have to go talk to police in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. that coupled with the fact that he took all of Daryl's stuff is like, dude, can you just try to look a little Mm -hmm. less sketchy? Yeah.
2: So uh, we kind of are going to fast forward a bit to uh, May. So after the wallets found... May of this year? No, May of that year. Okay. Which is we're still in 2016. Okay, sorry, <laughs> I didn't
1: know how how far fast in the future May have that year.
2: Um, Daryl's phone magically appears now. Apparently, what had happened was the phone was found in February in a rental car that was returned by Matt Rigby the day that Daryl had gone missing.
1: I'm starting to get a sense that this guy's so a real piece of shit.
2: <laughs> An employee found the phone left in the back seat of the car. And he had left it at the office for a couple of days to see if anyone would come and claim it. Mm-hmm. After it had not been claimed, the phone was then wiped clean by another employee and given to his girlfriend. Wow. Also, who the fuck knows how to wipe clean gadgets like that? Just lickety-split. like. Everything goes. <laughs> Put your hand down. I do.
1: <laughs> You're implicating yourself. I'm, I'm just saying it's not actually as difficult as you would
2: mm-hmm.
0: think.
1: But it is interesting to me because I mean, I guess at that point he um like he wouldn't he hadn't contacted the embassy, so like there wasn't an active investigation going on, so there was mm-hmm. nothing for like the police there's no reason that the police would have gone there to look for that or that people in the office would have thought oh maybe we should turn this in because this guy's part of an active police investigation you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like there wouldn't have been any connection between the two yeah
2: (laughs) so investigators from the u.s and the dominican republic were reportedly locked in legal disputes and efforts to retrieve records from the phone companies it was weeks later after the phone being found that the family members say they noticed an alert on Daryl's online account with his cell phone company saying his phone had been deactivated. Okay. This allowed authorities in the Dominican Republic to track the phone down to an acquaintance of the rental car company, which is how they were able sure. to find out where the fucking phone was. Sure. Okay. So, I'm going to say, let's look at Matt Rickby for a minute. Let's understand some weird facts here rigby was questioned by the authorities and cooperated but nothing had come out of it okay now here are some questions that kind of point some fingers at rigby and his weird behavior oh gosh okay he left a note for daryl when he left the island in the kitchen of the villa that they shared but took all of daryl's personal items with him when he left so why would you leave a note but then take all of his stuff with you
1: In case he comes back, you know.
2: Right? Taking all the stuff that he could communicate with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
2: That's. (sighs) So two, he returned the rental car to Puerto Plata at 1230 p.m. He told everyone that he was on his way home at 930 p.m. There's a three hour unaccounted window that he does not say what he was doing or where he was.
1: And he returned the rental car the day after
2: um, Daryl had supposedly disappeared. It was on. I it, believe it was, it was Thursday. It was Thursday when he actually left because he called the furnitures on Friday. Okay. Okay. And Daryl supposedly had went missing on Wednesday. On
1: Wednesday. Okay. So he took the rental car back, but then okay. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it.
2: Got it. Got it. There also was an additional one hundred miles tracked on the car's mileage. Okay. So not at all the distance that it would take to go from the rental to the villa and back. Yeah. Like there was an additional hundred miles estimated on there. So damn, like where are you driving? A hundred mi- yeah. miles is a kind bit. of a lot. That is a bit. There's also camera footage at the airport showing Rigby entering a bathroom and leaving in a completely different pair of clothing, including sunglasses and a hat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rigby also ducked out of an interview with the U.S. Embassy and then told them to speak to his lawyer, and he never actually spoke with the U.S. Embassy. Okay. And then we also know that he had emailed Daryl yeah. instead of texting yeah. or calling him. So these are all these like weird, suspicious things that were Definitely happening. Definitely suspicious, I would mm-hmm. say. Now, uh, let's fast forward to June of this year. Uh, Well, last year, technically. It's 2020 now. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, The recent deaths of the tourists in the DR brought back to the attention of the U.S. the missing persons case of Daryl Fornatora. There have been no updates in the case since 2016. The DR is not actively looking at the case. Only the Fornatoros have kept up the fight to look for Daryl.
1: Okay. And there, I'm assuming nobody's been charged or anything in this nope. case. Okay. Nope.
2: Jeez. There is still a $25,000 reward being offered for any information leading to his recovery. Okay. And anyone with information as whereabouts is urged to call the embassy tip line at 809-368-7713. And there's also a Facebook page called Searching for Daryl. Okay. Um, now, I told you I was going to circle back to what I thought happened.
1: Yes. Yeah. Please tell me. So,
2: my These thoughts, are just our opinions, by the way. This is just Nobody's been opinion. charged. My thought is that a, a couple of things probably happened. He probably went on that surf trip and got shaked down. Mm-hmm. And he probably did smoke something that was laced. Yeah. Yeah. That's he, what it sounds like to me, too. And he was probably very, very paranoid. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about him walking off, I I don't think he did. All of the suspicious activity that Matt Rigby is involved in, Mm -hmm. I think he knows what happened to Daryl. And I think it's more along the lines of some sort of an accident. Yeah. I think that there were people who were trying to steal from him and trying to... Drug him to steal from him, and I think what wound up happening is that his paranoia overcame him, and probably something happened by accident, and Rigby witnessed it, and then tried to kind of
0: cover yeah. it up because yeah. you're in a
2: foreign country, yeah. you're a U.S. national, like right. I'm thinking that's to me what all of these weird, conflicting, and conflated yeah. facts um are pointing to.
1: Well, and part of me because it sounds like obviously if he's like a small planes operator that's Mm -hmm. friends with a tennis pro that he is probably somebody with some stature, some prominence, some Mm -hmm. wealth more than likely if you're Mm -hmm. vacationing in the R for like five days. Um, I'm sure it would be a little more, Frightening, or you would be less inclined to actively help if it would reflect badly on your character, even if he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he did necessarily. I'm saying some of the decisions that he made following Daryl's disappearance were not the greatest. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at that, anybody can see that. And it does seem like he is... It seems, for sure, like he is trying to hide something. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... If you have like a, like a threat of getting yourself into trouble in that situation, when you have a lot of money, when you have a lot of, um, influence or something, even over like small community or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you're less likely to come forward because you almost have more to lose, you know? Exactly. So I could definitely see that not, not necessarily being the cause of his, um, death, but, he, like you said, like maybe witnessed something or was aware of something happening and isn't being, it's possible that he's not being totally truthful. It's mm-hmm. very possible.
2: Yeah. There were so many things and holes in his timeline mm-hmm. and suspicious behavior. Like if you, if your friend goes missing and you don't contact anyone, I understand you're in a shady part of the country, but like, yeah, call the embassy. At least the embassy yeah call back to the u.s ask somebody what you should do you obviously have a lawyer Mm -hmm. call your lawyer and be like he's missing what should i do who should i contact right yeah and i'm sure that you know if you went to the local police there's obviously gonna be a language barrier i there's not a whole lot of people in the local departments who speak english yeah um I am kind of interested in why they were so
1: quick to sh- just shut that shit down. It seemed to me like the police were very quick to be like, nope, it's closed. We're not talking about mm-hmm. it. He drowned. And, like, not actively. It didn't sound like they did any sort of active investigation and that they're
2: continuing not mm-hmm. to. Um, the only thing that they attempted to do, but it wasn't local police. This was the the country. Okay. <laughs> was to look into his phone records. hmm um i mean would they just would they just not want
1: like the bad press is oh, that definitely. why they would just be like mm-hmm. that's why all us? of those
2: things that happened this past year mm-hmm. was so scathing because it was able to like everything got happened within like a week and a half span right yeah of I all those people that. being you know who died and the woman who was beaten like that all happened super quickly yeah um so it is bad and that happened in a A tourist area that happened Mm -hmm. in a resort area. Mm -hmm. So imagine the amplitude of that, but also like just the the country as a whole is a tourist destination, right? So even if you're not in the safe areas, they don't want that reputation to be ruined. Yeah, of people not being able to go to a safe country, right, to vacation. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, so he's still missing, and there really hasn't been any updates, but. You can go onto the Facebook page and kind of see some other additional investigations. And there's, I put the posters up here that Mm -hmm. they kept, people kept getting um, it ripped down. Yeah. And then there was a a nice little map. So it shows you Cabaret is really high up there in the north. Yeah, like way north. We were in the way down, we were kind of closer to uh, Puerto Rico area, kind of like down that way. So wild story yep vacations are a nightmare if you're thinking
1: of going on vacation stop don't pause consider it while you listen to this podcast
2: stay at home and listen to podcasts where it's safe (laughs) where you can go on an auditory vacation (laughs) an auditory hallucination murder road trip is a true crime podcast where i your host haley discuss murder cases in my car A.K.A. the Mobile Beats Lab Join me and my partner in crime H.H. Gnomes On the road There will be games, mixtapes, and snacks As I make the research journey to murder scenes Around the world Make sure to check your back seat And I'll see you at the next rest stop Alright Janelle Yes
1: What do you got for me this week?
2: Well, I have one iTunes review Okay, I'm ready. It's a short and a sweet one. It says "Good Time Crime Cast," <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a bunch of random numbers and letters. So I think it's like a computer generated oh. one. Um, I mean the name. They probably didn't put oh, a name in, so it probably I computer you. generated. I was like, a the name. commented, and then I was like, Oh shit, we got bots. No. We got botted. So it says, "I love this show so much." And that was it. Oh, was short Well, thank you. And sweet and wonderful. Thank you for your iTunes review. Thank you, Bob. Anytime you want to leave us one, head on over there. We, yeah. we appreciate it. We love reading
1: mm-hmm. them. So we're in the new year. Mm-hmm. If you want the new year, new you, why don't you start with some new merch? Yeah. Uh, we've got shirts and bags and mugs and all sorts mm-hmm. of things. You can find them all at thebadtastecrimecast.com slash merch. And while you're on there, you can
2: head on over to the donate side and
1: check There's a button what for that's that. all about. There's a button for you donate. You can
2: become one of our lovely Patreons mm-hmm. subscribers. Yeah, Janelle's doing we some have, fun shit over yes. there now. It's exclusive stuff that you can't listen to anywhere else. You have to be a Patreon member. You can hear amazing backlogged episodes, seasonal stuff. Yes. Um, maybe some live event things coming up. Sneaky oh, maybe. Peekies. Yeah. Uh, you get all kinds of codes for merch, all kinds of stuff. And yeah. you can hear me and my boyfriend, Bo, talking cocktails and conspiracies. It's Which fun, is always quick, a good time. Wonderful. Yeah. Outrage. Yeah. Drinks are flying. <laughs> um,
1: you can find that all mm-hmm. at Patreon. Um, it's com slash donate. Also, mm-hmm. speaking of l- events and things, we are going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival 2020 in Kansas City, Missouri on July 11th and 12th. Can you can get some barbecue
2: while you're down there, Oh uh,
1: Maybe. i have a big, for their BBQ. I'm not <laughs> a big barbecue person. Like. <laughs> I don't actively seek it out necessarily, but I mean, I will eat it and I, I <laughs> enjoy it, is it when put I do. In your face, is Kansas it. City a big barbecue mm-hmm. area? I've actually not
2: been there. I don't think Kansas for anything. City's a real big one. Oh well, mm-hmm. maybe we'll have to get some barbecue. It's um, like Kansas City and and Memphis are like yeah nashville
1: nashville had a good barbecue mm-hmm. when i was there
2: They're more of a hot chicken town <laughs> yeah i didn't realize that until we left and we mm-hmm. saw a place called
1: hot chicken oh, something yeah. something and i was like what the fuck is hot we went chicken? down there i to... would not like
2: that oh it's delicious I don't like... if i ate meat it's <laughs> i don't like spicy really uh, but you can get varying degrees you can just like a little spicy but we went down there the first time to visit my brother and we mm-hmm. got it and bo had the flu and he oh. couldn't eat it and I was just describing it to him I'm like it's spicy and it's sweet and it's delicious. Oh my god. <laughs> I felt so bad. He was laying on the bathroom floor like just <laughs> dying and oh, I'm like guy. I'm going eat this hot chicken and pimento mac and cheese and you could fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it's true love. <laughs>
1: barbecue. Yes. So we're gonna be in Kansas City, Missouri mm-hmm. July 11th and 12th. For that you can check out more information at tcpf2020.com They'll have tickets are available Um, see all the shows that are gonna be down there. There's a ton of people going. Works because our sound producer tips coming with us. It's going to be so fun. I can't wait. We're going to road trip we're gonna well, scare her yeah. <laughs> oh my god that's true this is like the first podcast trip away also <laughs> which is gonna be really fun i'm i'm pretty excited and we're excited to meet you guys yeah. um what i think that's all we got yeah for i sound so surprised like is that it i mean it is <laughs> <laughs> all right our sound producer is tiff fulman our music is by jason Zakshevsky. the enigma <laughs>
2: I had already forgotten you. That had is that. like
1: my new favorite. I'm so glad Tiff got that for me for Christmas because it's the best.
2: Uh, I just
1: can't get enough of it. It's so good. We will see you in two weeks. Adios. Are you gonna say goodbye? No. no.
2: All right. Well, I'll say bye for I mean, Janelle. You can, bye. Say, you can say bye. I don't want I
0: don't <laughs> to say bye. Still flies along the Was as if a wave of zebra washed over this town. We have got to find out soon. We are all.